Away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Thursday, May 28th, the last editor's show of May. My name is Pete Sweeney. I'm the editor-in-chief over at arrowheadpride.com. Once again, joined by my deputy editor, John Dixon. John, for better or for worse, the off-season is flying by at this point. It certainly is. And I have water in my basement again. We've been landscaping around the house to keep the water from getting in there. It's worked up till today, but it's rained a little harder today. A lot of people want to put a pool in their house. This is not the type of pool that no, you had in mind, this, is This it? is not what we had in mind, no. <laughs> not the type of pool we occasionally see on the story of franchise Chiefs quarterback Patrick Mahomes, of course, because he, beautiful home in Kansas City, it's nice when the local news is not putting the address out. Patrick Mahomes is actually back in Kansas City, we found out. The Chiefs were one of the topics on the NFL Network. There was a video by an NFL Network reporter suggesting that he was still back in Texas. And in 2020 fashion, sign of the times, Patrick Mahomes quote tweets himself and says, nope. We've been back for a while now, and we've been working. And Arrowhead Pride Birdie, tweet, 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 told us that he's been back since Thursday, at least Thursday. So Mahomes is back local. He's been around for about a week. And it sounds like he's been working with the Chiefs, wide receivers, skill position players, whoever may be around at a location not named because the Chiefs are still not allowed back in the facility. Right, and we've heard indications that other teams have been doing that. Their quarterbacks and wide receivers have been working together. So See, Tom Brady Tom Brady has to have a camera there in Tampa. Right, Patrick yeah. Mahomes is, is just flying under the radar un, right. until a Chiefs fan finds him because once they do, this will right. be all over the internet. All bets are off, right, right. So here's what's happening. That's our main story today with Mahomes being back in Kansas City. It's always about Mahomes, so we cover that. <laughs> We'll go through the rest of the news that we have in the last two days. Interesting scheduling for this podcast and and what's going on with the Chiefs. Right now, we are getting ready to hear from the Chiefs assistant coaches. We'll preview that on this show, but we'll hear from them later on Thursday. Then there'll be some players available to the media on Friday. So a lot of this is happening with our next podcast not coming until what would be Monday for the AP Laboratory. So with that in mind, we're making this part one of episode 10 of the Editor's Show. So once we hear from Chief's assistants, once we hear from the players on Friday, John and I will get back together for what is another abbreviated show, probably in your podcast feed somewhere around Saturday morning. Right. It'll probably be done... Friday evening where, where we get this thing up and, and we'll review what we learned from the players and coaches. In the second half of this episode, abbreviated episode, we'll talk about underrated Chiefs and we'll go into some of the history of the Chiefs with their dynasty teams and where they rank among the NFL and, and, and its history in itself. So let's continue on with the news. We talked about assistant coaches talking to the media on Thursday. We'll get into that again. But before we do, we also need to talk about the owners voting virtually on Thursday. The two main measures that I think everybody is talking about are this 4th and 15 from the 25. There have been two new wrinkles added uh, this week. You can only do it in regulation and it's an untimed down. So basically, I think what this prevents, John, is 
the step on your throat clause. So the reason that you can't do it in overtime is so that you can't keep the ball after you score a field goal, ending the game. And if there are four or five seconds left on the clock, you can't, like Patrick Mahomes did in the Super Bowl, just chuck it up on what would be a fourth and 15 to end the game. Right. And I think those are good uh, modifications to make. Uh, They put it out there and teams said, oh, well, this is going to be a problem or that's going to be a problem. They've made the modifications prior to voting on it. But what I think it indicates more than anything is that there's politicking that goes on with these, that the Eagles put this proposal out there and they started talking to other owners and the owners are saying, well, I'm not going to vote for this because of X or Y. And the Eagles say, okay, what will it take to get your positive vote on this proposal? And they've given their feedback and now we see that change happening. Yeah, 24 of 32 owners need to vote in approval for it to to get passed here. And I'm starting to feel optimistic that maybe this goes through because in rules past, we just don't see, as you mentioned, the alterations, the specific Mm -hmm. alterations this late in the game. As you mentioned, it sounds like there's talking going on. It's really specific. And it adds excitement to the game. I talked about that on last show. It'll make the game more exciting. And unlike Major League Baseball, the NFL is always trying to find ways to adapt and do that. And I think we're seeing that even in this next rule we're going to talk about. And that's the sky judge. And this is similar to what people have seen in soccer where they have, I think they call it VAR, some kind of referee or judge watching the game from a skybox that's a better vantage point. That's why you'll see a lot of coordinators that work up in the boots as opposed to being on the sideline. But here's an interesting part of this sky judge rule. And John, you noted it to me this morning. Let's just set this up here. Andy Reid was involved in this. And Andy Reid will never tell you that in the public eye. He'll never tell you that in the media. But he is one of the, and I'll put it this way, active keepers of the game. He really cares about the league. Fits well with the Chiefs because I know Lamar Hunt was like that too. Anyway, we're, we're burying the lead here. So you remember this Patriots game last year. Uh, the Patriots are trailing 23-13 to 13 early in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs in Foxborough. Nikhil Harry dives for the end zone and the referees rule him out at the three-yard line. The replay clearly shows that it should have been a touchdown. The Patriots settled for a field goal would have been a three point instead of a seven point game. And that changes the entire dynamic of the game. The Patriots had no challenges left, so they couldn't even review it. Let's go to the Monday morning after. Yeah, no doubt Patriots fans as frustrated as any fan base right now, just based on that non-call. And actually, a couple of calls, you showed one there, the Travis Kelsey non-fumble as well. But Jerome Boger, the referee, spoke with the pool reporter late last night and at least offered an explanation for what happened. And in Boger's words, one of the officials on the wing, you see him right there, he was blocked, could not tell whether or not Nikhil Harry's foot was inbounds or out of bounds. And then the other official, kind of further downfield, simply couldn't see it well enough to realize that Nikhil Harry was in. He ruled it out. Those two officials conferred. And because it was real time, because one of those officials was pretty clear that he believed he had it right, Bogart did not step in and overrule them. So they ruled that it was uh, not a touchdown, that he was out. And of course, the Patriots would have loved to challenge, uh, but they did not have a challenge. And then in the end, they have to take this result. And the pool reporter asked Bogart, 
were you tempted to maybe just call it a touchdown because then it's officially uh, reviewed anyway? And the response was not really. Got to love the smooth Kansas City jazz on the rap sheet report from the Monday morning after a little bit odd when you don't have the replays that they're showing in front of you on NFL Network. But let's be clear here. Yeah, this is the New England Patriots. They may deserve to have all the rules thrown against them and teams should be allowed to win in certain cases because of the history they have and what they've done in the past. But this impacted the game negatively for the Patriots. It led the Chiefs to victory. And why we're bringing this up now, well, that comes from a Sports Illustrated report where Andy Rejohn is involved in this. Right. He actually, in the discussions about the Sky Judge rule, brought up that play, which actually helped the Chiefs as a, an example of a play where the things went wrong and a sky judge might have helped the result come out the right way. In other words, against the Chiefs, which demonstrates, I think, really clearly how much Andy Reid cares about the game, not just his own team. And I have to say that because Andy Reid and I are very close to the same age, I make this comparison all the time, but that's a result of his age, honestly. Right. Because I feel that too. The farther along I've gotten in life, I have learned to think more about the game as a whole rather than just how it affects my team. And you, I, I love that about Andrew Reid. I love that he's willing to bring up something that, that actually would have hurt him in a particular situation because he wants, it to, wants to get it right. I think it's great. And I, I think in the article, too, it, it notes that the two other spearheads of this were one of the Andy Reid disciples and John Harbaugh. Right. And Anthony Lynn, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you look at the game as a fan or as a reporter, someone who writes about it, and man, the Chiefs hate the Chargers. Screw the Ravens, right? <laughs> when the offseason's here, these guys are all friends. They're trying to work together to better the game. And I think you saw this here with Andy Reid. Andy, the game's over. Andy Reid got the win. They're not going to change it in the record book. Sure. Why not use this and make a bigger point to the people who are going to be voting on this and say, look, we won because of this. It wasn't fair. Mm -hmm. Let's get this right. Makes it a compelling argument. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to say this is wrong, even though it benefited me. makes it very compelling. And what has become maddening and tough for the NFL, just a tough look is TVs are really good now. Mm -hmm. I don't know the technology behind the 4k. I just write for a website and, (laughs) <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing too impressive, but sometimes you'll watch television and you'll be at the game and you'll go to yourself. I think I'm enjoying this game more on this television because of just how crystal clear the picture is. There's different angles. You can hear the analysis of Tony Romo. If you, if you prefer a wizard to tell you the plays before they happen. And so sometimes that experience is, is better. And what ends up happening is the referees, like in this case, are just clearly getting it wrong. And people know right after, and you, you just can't have that. And, and kudos to the NFL for adapting. You know, we mentioned baseball before. They've always been slow to adapt. It's been more of a traditionalist game. I think even to an extent, you could make that case about the NFL in some cases. but Good, they're finally coming around here, I think. And you could see this sky judge this year. 
which would be a huge change because you go from who knows how the referees might impact a game to most days they should be a very small impact on the result, which is what? The end goal. You just want to see the best team in a fair game win. Right. And I, and this has always been the goal. They've made it very clear that what they're trying to do is to get it right. I thought one of the interesting quotes in the Breer piece was Walt Anderson, I think, that he was talking about. And they, he was on a committee that was looking at, at this uh, Sky Judge thing. And they asked him, what is it you really want? And he said, I don't want to be on Sports Center on Monday. In other words, I don't want to be on TV trying to justify the decision of a officiating crew on the day after the game. I personally think that that this is actually going to be a really good thing because what they tried to do last year with the pass interference rule was to fix the egregious problems. And I think the sky judge will be able to get in the official's ear and say, guys, you got to pick that flag up. And the coaches don't even get the opportunity to challenge a bad call. And we won't even know what happened. Right. For some context here, if you're not familiar with officials' names, Walt Anderson was a, a referee from the 96 to the 2019 season. And you see in this push for the sky judge that they're getting everybody involved, right? Let's make every mm-hmm. case for this. And they're going to test it out in the preseason. I think it's going to work well because they're clearly asking all the right questions. Mm-hmm. I, one thing that popped out to me is they can only adjust plays up till the 15-second mark in the play clock. So it's not like it's going to slow down games. People even think that it may make the game faster because mm-hmm. instead of having to review things, which sometimes take like 10 to 12 minutes, mm-hmm. you come back from commercial, it's still another five minutes because they're looking at this play. It might make things a lot quicker, especially if, like we saw briefly in the XFL before it folded, they have all these angles almost immediately and they can just rewind and in a minute get you, get you the right call. So... I think a, a good day for the NFL. We'll see how this shakes out by end of day Thursday, I believe. It does feel like, at least in the preseason, they will indeed test it out. Let's preview this. We mentioned it earlier as we described what's happening with the show. The Chiefs are making some assistant coaches available to the media. I'm just going to list these off, John, and, and you can tell me what you think here. Andy Hill, who's a special teams assistant, worked at Missouri for all those years, which is why I believe he is available today. I, I think Vahe Gregorian from the Kansas City Star will have a few questions for him. That's that's just my prediction. Madhouse, uh, linebackers coach, Brendan Daly, defensive line, Dylan McCullough, running backs, uh, Sam Madison, uh, defensive backs. Anything jump out to you there? I think that Andy Hill will get a lot of questions. I think Vahe will will have a few. I think you're exa- I'd, I'd take the over under on that. <laughs> and I think there'll be a lot of questions for Brendan Daly and McCullough will get a lot of questions because of of Dash, uh, C E H as you call him, but I call him Dash. <laughs> yeah, no, I I I think McCullough. You're right. As the top pick in the draft, he will get some questions. And and I think what will be interesting for McCullough. And speaking to him, he's a little bit more straightforward than Eric Bieniemy might be. Mm-hmm. So yeah. potentially, you could get a better picture of what this running back committee might look like right now. I don't think you're going to hear a extensive commitment on what they'll do, but I I think a little bit of a clearer picture might result out of that. Sam Madison is interesting because you have the two defensive backs, Lajarius Need and 
my guy, Bo Pete Keys, late in the draft. Love that name. I I will start going by Bo Pete Sweeney at some point this year. <laughs> but yes, no, I'm I'm excited to hear what Sam Madison has to say. Brendan Daly is always a good quote, no matter what you're talking about. I think with the Chiefs saying they've had 100% participation in these virtual workouts, maybe seeing how Chris Jones is handling this whole thing because there are talks still ongoing about whether or not he's going to get a long-term deal or play under the franchise tag. Matt House also, too, may have some interesting commentary on your guy, Willie Gay Jr., and how he may fit into the defense this year. Yeah, I agree with that. But of course, we're still going to have the problem that we've had all along during the offseason is that they really haven't gotten their hands on these guys yet, which, as we talked about on Tuesday, is kind of a creepy way (laughs) to describe it. But they haven't had them out on the practice field to see really what they have. So I think we're going to get a lot of answers from these assistant coaches, just like we've gotten from Andy Reid and Steve Spagnuolo and the rest of them. You know, there's a lot we don't know yet. That's two shows in a row. We're talking about getting our hands on people. I can't wait to get my hands on these assistant coach interviews again. (laughs) We will recap them in part two of what will be the AP Editor's Show that drops sometime Friday. Be in your inbox, hopefully, fingers crossed, by Saturday morning. When we come back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, we'll get into Pro Football Focus's most underrated Chiefs player. We'll provide our own and then a talk about The Chiefs Dynasty. That's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon, part one of episode 10, the two-parter, the first two-parter in our our young history of this program. Mitch Schwartz has been named the Chiefs' most underrated player by Pro Football Focus. I don't necessarily think that Mitch Schwartz is underrated, at least in Kansas City. I saw a few comments both on our site and on Twitter stating that everybody knows how important this guy is. But without a doubt, nationally, by the standards of Pro Bowl voting, he's the most underrated player maybe in the league. Four trips to the All-Pro teams, no Pro Bowls, no trips to Hawaii, no trips to Orlando. Now that they have in Orlando, they may want to switch the location of the Pro Bowl now that the NBA bubble is going to take over in Orlando. But at least nationally, you can understand why Mitch Schwartz was the pick. Sure. And that's the perspective that PFF is going to put on it, is how how it's viewed nationally. And I agree. I think most Chiefs fans have a very clear idea on how valuable and how good Mitchell Schwartz is on the Chiefs team. So I agree with that. I'll read the description for you. Schwartz is another name in the category of this guy should definitely have a Pro Bowl appearance. He is graded at 72 or higher overall in each of his eight NFL seasons. And he's coming off a career year in 2019 where his 89.3 overall grade ranks second at the tackle position. The fact that Schwartz only allowed one pressure, a hurry at that in 134 pass blocking snaps during the Chiefs postseason run is hard to overstate. It's impressive, impressive stuff. Maybe 2020 will finally be the year he receives that ever elusive Pro Bowl recognition. What's interesting about this PFF description too is it doesn't even go into his availability. Think about how many injuries the Chiefs have had along the offensive line. Mitch Schwartz has never missed a start in eight years. He's missed three snaps last year in the Titans game back in November. He had to come out for a few plays before that. He had a streak 
of what was 7,894 snaps. That availability, especially I think in today's game, is hard to come by. So there you have it. Mitch Schwartz, the PFF most underrated chief. Right now, we'll give our most underrated chiefs on this team. John, why don't you go first? Well, I have to take it from the perspective of Chiefs fans because that's what I am. And that's the people who are our audience. And I would have to say that I hope the most underrated Chiefs player isn't Dustin Colquitt. And I say that because we're in this situation where we've said goodbye to Colquitt. I think the Chiefs made a fairly wise decision to do that. It's it's a done deal now. But one of the things you can't quantify very well in pro football is the effect a placeholder has on a place kicker. Uh, you know, we can measure what punters do. We can measure how many times they kick inside the 20. We can measure how far they kick. We can measure their hang time. We can do all of these things. But it's very difficult to quantify the effect of the holder on the place kicking game. And that can be a very critical factor in any NFL game. So I'm hoping that we don't have an issue with that in 2020 when we bring a new guy along. Now, he'll get better. You know, if he's not really good at it, he'll improve over time, just as Colquitt did, because Colquitt was famous for asking kickers what helped them and what didn't and learning as much as he could about every portion of his job. That's what made him such a great player for the Chiefs. But I hope that we don't have a a down year in place kicking because we've got a guy who doesn't have as much experience as we used to. Interesting points by you there. I think some people in Kansas City may say that that player is overrated. They say, get rid of the punter and the holder. Right. They, the Chiefs don't need to kick at all. Right. And, and that's, the, that's been the argument about Colquitt for a long time. Right. Why are we paying this guy $4 right. million dollars a year or whatever it is? Because, you know, we're not using him very often. Well, you know, the Chiefs still punt. They don't punt as much as they used to, certainly. But you still have to have a guy who can come through in those tough situations. And Colquitt always did that. Next year's punter will, of course, be Tommy Townsend or Tyler Newsom. That battle is impending as long as the Chiefs can have a, a training camp. And, of course, Townsend, who's making more money in the free agent deal, he is the favorite there. But it will be what the Chiefs are describing as a true punter competition. Well, John, I, I got to be honest here. I cheated. I have two. I have two underrated players. I couldn't decide. I'll just go through them. As quickly as I can. First, the most important player on this team, of course, not underrated. People might even say he's overrated, especially if you don't live in Kansas City, is Patrick Mahomes, right? So anything that helps Patrick Mahomes should be considered, I think, critical to the success of the team. Matt Moore went out there last year and won a game. And everybody wants to talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick and what he did. Matt Moore beat a playoff team in the Minnesota Vikings. And it's part of the reason the Chiefs got a bye. It's part of the reason the Chiefs won the Super Bowl. You have Chad Henney, who came back from injury. Chad Henney never had to enter the game. He hasn't played a game in years. But he is doing enough for Mahomes behind the scenes that the Chiefs chose him to come back over a player they know they can win with in a game against a playoff team. I don't know what Chad Henney is doing specifically. I know he's helping Mahomes, but the Chiefs think highly enough of him to bring him back over a guy they know can win. So to me, I think Chad Henney, in mysterious ways, is one of the Chiefs' most underrated players. And I think Tyreek Hill, for reasons I described in the last episode, everybody knows nationally 
that Tyree Kill is this speed wide receiver, the fastest player in the league, this ultra weapon. But I think there are some feelings nationally that he's a little bit more gadgety than he is. We watched early in this season, and I understand that Patrick Mahomes was dealing with ankle injuries, but we watched how Jacoby Brissett beat Patrick Mahomes without Tyree Kill on the field because the Colts defense was able to go press man. They were able to focus a bit more on Travis Kelsey. Tyree Kill opens this entire offense up, and he is a critical player for this Chiefs team. Talk about players that are important after Mahomes. The next most important player on this team may indeed be Tyree Kill. Of course, you can open up that argument. I know some people would say, oh, Tyron Matthew, some of the leadership. Without Hill, the offense is completely different because of that threat that he offers and the attention that you need to put on him downfield on every single play. So those are my two. Chad Henney and Tyree Kill. Even though, again, Hill is one of the bigger contributors on the team, I still don't think he gets enough credit. When we spoke on Tuesday, you were previewing an article I would write about Chad Hetty becoming the starter. Let me make a note here so we can be sure to get that on the schedule. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to eat that. And <laughs> it's not an enjoyable breakfast, but it's breakfast nonetheless. <laughs> Last point of the show, I want to get into what Football Outsiders has put out as far as Chiefs dynasties. John, you've been recapping these for us on arrowheadpride.com. What are your takeaways here of this exercise by Football Outsiders? Well, they did something real interesting. They they started with a, a dynasty points system, and I'm not going to bother getting into all of that, to identify the teams that they should consider to be dynasties that got into how many championships they won, how their seasons were strung together, and you know, they had to have a winning season. There were certain criteria they had to meet in order to maintain that dynasty. And that qualified 56 teams. And then rather than just using that dynasty score, the dynasty points score, they called it, to evaluate these teams, then they went deeper than that and used their normal metrics to evaluate those teams and rank them. So they started with 56 teams at the time that the list of those 56 teams came out, the Chiefs teams that qualified as dynasties were all in the bottom third in the list. And then by the time they did their further evaluation on it, we had three Chiefs teams that were in the top 40. The 1990 to 1997 team with Marty Schottenheimer that never won a championship but was one of the best teams of the league for eight seasons at 35. The current team, which won a Super Bowl, they classified 2015 through 2019 as a dynasty. Both of those teams had 11 points or less, just above the minimum dynasty points to be included in this ranking, and they ended up in the top 40. And then on Tuesday, after we spoke on Tuesday, they released their list of the 11th through 20th teams and the 1966 to 1971 Chiefs with only 13 dynasty points, again, down in the bottom third of the original list of 56, are ranked 14th. And in their explanation, they pointed out that the Chiefs had an amazing estimated DVOA. They didn't use, uh, they don't have DVOA for seasons going that far back, but they have a method of estimating what it was. 
and also noted that they were one of the best teams in the AFL during the entire history of that league. So we did a poll on this, of course, and we released this information in one of our articles. And two-thirds of Chiefs fans feel that that was either right or could have been higher. Just a third thought it should have been lower than 14. And it's interesting to me what teams the 1966 through 71 team eclipsed. The Minnesota Vikings team from 1968 through 1980, and that includes the squad the team uh, the Chiefs beat in the Super Bowl four game in 1970 was 17th. That dynasty lasted a long time. The Denver Broncos team from 1996 to 2000, left behind by the Chiefs. The 1973-74 Miami Dolphins that went undefeated are 27th. The 2011 through 15 Broncos went 30th. So I think it's a good result for the Chiefs. I, I, I have already said in the article I wrote about it that I think it's very gratifying that uh, Football Outsiders considers domination of the AFL uh, a factor here. I thought that was great. Yeah, I think I have two takeaways here. First of which is you have to be good over a period of time right, to fit here. And I think you made that point with the 72 Dolphins. A lot of people consider that the greatest season of all time. That doesn't matter in this conversation because you need to be really good over a series of years, which is the toughest thing to do in the NFL. It feels like, as I watch over the years more and more, Teams can have good seasons. It's tough to even get back to the playoffs. And I've tried to preach this over the years when it comes to Andy Reid and the success he's had about just getting to the playoffs. So you're right. For the Chiefs to have that consistency in these three periods of time is impressive. And I also want to make the point here, I think, and this, again, goes against a little bit of your point, and not to say that I disrespect that early team, but I think you're watching the greatest Chiefs run of all time at least in our heads right here, because you have the quarterback. They should win more Super Bowls or at least be in contention. You almost can assume, and that'll make them trump that early, late 60s, early 70s team. And when they wrote about the 33rd ranked team, the current Chiefs team, they made that very point, that with one more championship in this particular dynasty run, they would eclipse the 1966 through 71 team. So I agree with that point that uh, we're we're probably seeing a team that will far outstrip what the late 60s Chiefs team did. There's recency bias here. I mean, I would say that last year's team is the best Chiefs team ever. I don't think that's too crazy. Now, you do have to take in consideration history, unfortunately. And this, man, is this is probably the, the grand unfortunate part of the Kansas City Chiefs franchise is that Lamar never got to see Patrick Mahomes. And he considered the 1970 team, right? The, the 19, best, 1971, the one 1971, the Christmas Day game, yeah. Mm -hmm. The the best Chiefs team to never win a title, maybe the best Chiefs team that they had, I think, in his lifetime. Really, when you when you think about how he never had the opportunity to see any of this happening. So, again, those are your Chiefs dynasties, according to Football Outsiders. So that's a quick show for you. Part one of the episode 10 edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. We will continue this party after we get to hear from the assistant coaches and the players coming up on Thursday and Friday. Again, check back in your podcast feed. I would say sometime evening Friday, early Saturday with your eggs. Eggs and Pete and John for you. 
on Saturday morning. Thank you for listening to the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show. For John Dixon, my name is Pete Sweeney. We'll catch you very soon.